Thank you, Lydia. Just take a moment <clears throat> to put yourself in the place of Bartimaeus and to hear Jesus asking you, what do you want me to do for you? Just take a moment of silence and then pray. Jehovah Adonai, you are our provider and you are the Lord of our lives. We acknowledge you as creator and as master. We come before you offering our lives to you. I pray that you would open our ears, our minds and our hearts to what you have to say for us today. My voice is feeble and frail, so we ask that yours would be the one that is heard. Yours would be the one that would speak to us clearly. May the words of our mouths and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing to you, our Savior, our friend, and our King. Amen. We start, verse 32, on a journey. Uh, Mark is a very poetic writer, and he likes to use different forms of writing in his text. And so this is a point where we have a journey. Um, Jesus and his disciples would have gone multiple times to Jerusalem and back again every year. And we knew at least of three years of Jesus' ministry. And yet Mark's gospel writes about one journey to go to, to Jerusalem. Uh, they've gone up as far north as they possibly can go in Israel to a place called Caesarea Philippi, which was one of the hubs of Baal worship, which is the complete opposite to what worship of Jesus and Yahweh is. And then it's at this point that they've talked about who Jesus is, and he has asked them to recognize his sovereignty. And they are now on this journey back towards Jerusalem. And it has quite a few overtones to it. For Jesus particularly, the overtones are of his vocation. If we look at verses 33 and 34, Jesus is not going to be taken by surprise with his future vocation. He knows what is coming. The cross is before him. This text that's in front of us today, which is a great passage, is particularly alluding to the central part of Isaiah, chapters 40 to 55. And in these chapters, there is one central person that the entire section revolves around, an anointed messianic figure who suffers and dies for the sins of Israel, for the world, and for you and me. So Jesus' vocation is determined for him it's been very clear since his initial baptism, the direction that he is going. But his followers are still working this out and being told. In verse 32, they find this scary. Look all the different mix of emotions that are there. Some are excited. Some must be wondering what's coming. Some might already have put two and two together and are starting to worry. And some are going through the processes of grief already with denial and saying that Jesus is crazy and shouldn't talk about such things. 
But Mark's aim here in this passage is to draw us forward, to draw us to the cross, which will be the pinnacle point of this story. The cross isn't just about forgiving our sins, though this is important and essential for us to be able to come before our God, our maker. But it also has political connotations, something that's very apt today and tomorrow. Jesus is asking the question, who has real power here? The kingdom of God is one that turns this world's ideas of power and glory upside down and inside out. Jesus actually challenges in verses 42 and 43 his own disciples and says, this is not the way for you, not so with you. You have been called to a different kingdom with a different methodology, a different thought. And this is where James and John have missed the point. They have this idea that they are on a march towards Jerusalem, a glory march, one where Jesus is, as they've rightly ascertained, going to be crowned as king. But they have their own pictures of what that kingship is going to look like. And Jesus has other ideas. Jesus is, in many ways, so many ways, the king that we have been looking for. They have put up with so many kings throughout their history that have missed the mark, that have not done as they should do. Going back, I was reminded by a friend two days ago back in Deuteronomy, it actually stipulates what a king should be doing. And one of the things is to write out all of the law at least once. This is a very humbling thing to do and means that a king in God's eyes would have the law on his heart and would know what is the purposes of God. Perhaps that is something for us to bear in mind as we cast our political votes tomorrow and ask ourselves what would bring God the most glory. The cross calls into question the pride and glory that both James and John and many of us all have. There is a chain of command, and this is not from the self-centered wielder of power down, but as Jesus reminds us in this passage, from servanthood up. He talks about the cup of God's wrath, and this is something which features several times throughout the Bible, but particularly in Jeremiah. And Jesus later on will talk about asking God to take this cup from me in Gethsemane later in chapter 14. In the Old Testament, God's wrath was the thing that happened when foreign armies would come in and destroy God's people and God's city. Jesus takes the full force of this wrath on himself. And then he talks about baptism. We've had the first baptism with John of emphasizing his sovereignty as the child of God. And then we also have his vocation of suffering, which is emphasized. So his messiahship is coming up to this pinnacle point of his death. And he is, in a sense, going down beneath the waters of death, which some would say is a very picture, sort of a picture, um, a symbol of his second baptism. Then we move on to the second part of the passage. I've been uh, recently reading a book by a friend of mine, colleague over in East London, 
um, called Chris Rogers, and he writes about what if we knew what God knows about us. It's a fantastic book that I would recommend to anyone of any walk of life uh, within Christianity. But he talks about God is able and God is willing, and sometimes we don't believe that God is willing to help us, and even if he did, is God able? And this is exactly what Bartimaeus believes, that Jesus is willing to help him, and that Jesus is able to help him. In verse 47 and 48, he recognizes who Jesus is. He shouts out, son of David. And when others try to quiet him, quieten him, he shouts all the louder. How is this reflected in us sometimes when we are reluctant to talk about our faith or we don't want to cause a riot or upset by sharing what we believe, trying to offer tolerance rather than pushing the message of who Jesus is as our Lord and Savior? In his book, Honest Evangelism, Rico Tice talks about the key is the sovereignty of God. And God is the one that is in control. And you can see this here in verse 40, for example. The places have been prepared already for the people that will hang next to Jesus. Again, this emphasizes that for God, this is planned and an essential part of what needs to happen. And shows that he is in control and Jesus is in control by knowing he's not going to be surprised by the crucifixion. But this is all part of the plan albeit a difficult cup to stomach. He has positioned everything. I find it interesting that Jesus asks the other people around him, call him. I found myself asking why. And I would suggest that this is because the people that are around Bartimaeus have been speaking down at him, and telling him to be quiet. And this has gone noticed by Jesus. He therefore invites people around him to call Bartimaeus to him. And there is something about teaching the people around him what it means to call people to himself. Bartimaeus then throws aside his cloak. Uh, I was recently in Nepal and have met a lot of people that have literally nothing or minimal possessions. And I couldn't picture many of them throwing aside the one main possession that they have to keep them warm or be to used in transactions as it often was in the Old Testament. For Bartimaeus, his coat would have been used for collecting the money for his begging. So that's very symbolic of what he's actually doing by throwing his coat aside. I spent some time thinking about what it meant when Jesus said, uh, when the text says that Jesus sees him coming. And I came up with two interpretations. The first is that Jesus sees him. It's very easy to look past the people in the streets that are asking for our help, that are calling out for some kind of support. But Jesus takes the time to see him and sees him in his poverty, in his anguish, in his pain and frustration of his blindness. Second one, which is perhaps less philosophical, is Bartimaeus really showed how happy he was to be coming to Jesus. Perhaps he was 
in flinging his coat in the air and running towards Jesus, stumbling in his blindness to try and get to him, quite a sight for the people that were around him. But it was very obvious that this man wanted to run to Christ and to be with his Lord. And then Jesus poses this fundamental question, what can I do for you? He is a role model for us in servanthood and is seeking to offer something to the people that come to him, which in contrast with the same question a few verses earlier that he posed to James and John, shows something of Bartimaeus's heart and what Jesus is hoping for as a response for us. Jesus still hears our requests, whatever they are that we bring to him, but he is hoping for us to see who he is and the change that he can bring as a Lord that is both willing and able. And then Bartimaeus asks one and prays one of the oldest prayers that we know in scripture, Lord have mercy. We say this as part of our communion service and Bartimaeus is saying it here, have mercy on me. It's interesting that Jesus then says, your faith has healed, has saved you. Being saved was often an analogy in this time of being healed. And this can throw up some very difficult questions for us sometimes to think about with healing and faith. But I think regardless of what our opinions are on healing, salvation is very much rooted in our faith of recognizing who Jesus is and trusting that he is the one that has power to rescue. There's plenty of examples in the Bible of people who have strayed from God and put their faith and their trust in bits of wood and golden calves and other leaders and kings. But ultimately, Bartimaeus has identified straight from the off who Jesus is. You are the son of David. You are my savior and my king. And Jesus reaches out and heals him. It's interesting to mull this over for a bit of who Jesus is, who God is for us. Is he the one that regardless of what happens, we put our trust in him? Do we see him as the creator of the world that is around us? He challenged Moses when Moses didn't put his trust in himself and in God's power, God challenges him and says, who made man's mouth? Are we looking to God to be the one that saves us from the mess that we get ourselves into? The one that will draw us into the future and be the one pulling us forward? And then to finish, Jesus instructs him, go. The simple command go reminded me very much of the Great Commission, which is what not this gospel, but all the others tend to finish on when Jesus comes back and tells them, go and tell others. When others have tried to quieten Bartimaeus, he shouts all the louder. And Jesus encourages him to take this out into the world and now he has the benefit of a personal story of the salvation and healing of his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
Jesus is not one that tells him to be quiet, but encourages him, put your faith in your God and go and tell others. And Bartimaeus then follows him on the way. The way was a euphemism or a suggestive phrase for being a Christian back in the early days. But not only is, I think this is part of Mark's beautiful wordplay, it's not about just being a Christian, but being on this journey with God, of being on this journey with Jesus. And for us, it loops us back to the beginning where we had verse 32 of they were on a journey. And Jesus is the one that is leading them on this journey. So I would challenge you to think about where your heart is. Are you perhaps at the particular stage of James and John looking for power, prestige, glory, personal gain? Or are you perhaps on the side of Bartimaeus with servanthood and putting your trust in God regardless of what happens? Jesus is asking us to ask our Father with authority and with humbleness, what do you want me to do for you? Let this be the thing that resounds in our minds this week as we go on our way and Jesus is the one leading us on the path thank you Lord for your word Amen